BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I want to introduce you to something that everybody needs in their life, which is Adderall and compliments, which is also the name of my podcast. I'm Annabelle, and every week I want you to come kiki with me and my hilarious friends as we talk about everything from reality TV to dating fails, mental health. I promise it will make you laugh, and most importantly, it will make you feel so much better about your own life. So come join me and my baby stripper voice every Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and follow me on Instagram at Annabelle Zasisto and give me the greatest gift of all, which is validation. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy, I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'll burn out. Hi guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. Happy Thursday. I hope you guys have had a great week so far. I'm really excited for this week's episode. I recorded it a while back with Jocelyn Johnson. I'm going to get into a little bit more of her We're going to be talking healthy relationships, healthy communication. Honestly, it's kind of like emotional intelligence. I really like these topics. And while I personally have never had any less of an interest in even texting a boy back, I think this conversation is really, really helpful. So Jocelyn Johnson is leading a new trend in relationship maintenance with her check-in method, the Happy Partners Project. She's certified in cognitive behavioral coaching and neuro-linguistic programming. So she developed a product on the belief that happier partners build happier homes and ultimately have healthier communication, greater life satisfaction, and increased emotional intelligence. Card games are really like the hottest trend right now. Um, And so she came out with Happy Partners Project Check-In. So essentially this episode is all about healthy relationships. Um, I'm single and I still enjoyed it. This conversation was really interesting. So I really hope you guys enjoy the show Before we welcome Jocelyn on, as always, we have limited edition merch out right now with Dom. And yes, guys, I am working on I Love You So Much merch. We are hopefully bringing it back summer 2021. Everything is happening in summer 2021. You know, the TikTok audio that's like club, bus, party, club, club, like that is summer 21. Um, But also like I Love You So Much merch, you know, there's a ton of new vlogs on my YouTube channel. I actually finally have my closet installed. So the closet room I mean, it's really been something. We're on TikTok. If you guys are like visual people and you want to watch this episode, they're always available on our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a nice rating and review, follow us on Instagram. Um, But yeah, without further ado, let's welcome Jocelyn on to the show. I'm so excited to be talking today. First off, I'm jealous. Jocelyn has an incredible blowout right now. Like I'm very jealous of the blowout situation. But I'm also really excited to talk to you. I've been doing so much research. I asked on Instagram. I 
love the topic of like healthy relationships because I feel like it's not talked about enough as far as like being linked to like emotional health. First thing, I want to get into CBT and neuro-linguistic programming. I know you're certified in both. Can you give us a little background on the two? Yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy and neuro-linguistic programming are just fancy ways of saying that your feelings dictate your thoughts, which then lead you to your beliefs. And your beliefs are the operating structure for all of your actions and habits. So in traditional therapy, they look at your habits and they want to unravel that to get to new beliefs. And this is the opposite. It says, okay, let's get to what belief you formed when you were 10, 15, 25. Let's get to that root and then start changing the belief so that you then change your actions and habits. What do you see happening when I think I just think about messages I get, DMs I get, friends talking, people believing that they're either not worthy of a relationship or also that like a good thing won't last in their life. Like what have you observed about that? Yeah. So if someone has the belief, this is a great example. If someone has the belief that things won't last in their life, that means that they'll probably enter into the relationship with a little bit less trust and a little bit higher of a guard up. So they won't necessarily be able to be relaxed in their full authentic selves because they're constantly going to be anticipating that there's an end date, that it's going to come to an end. And all of their decisions and actions from that point forward will be, will be dictated by that belief and assumption. And so they'll self-prophesy. They'll bring that to pass. That's like what they say, the self-fulfilling prophecy, because you'll find the evidence that proves, oh, there's the proof that that's going to end, that this isn't going to last or oh, there's the proof that I'm not enough for this person or that I don't deserve this kind of love, they'll find the evidence to prove their belief right. So it really comes down to what were the circumstances surrounding the development of that belief that I'm not worthy or that I'm not enough. And then starting to find the evidence to the contrary. So we can actually retrain our brains to jump to new conclusions. So let's say that it's, um, I'm not enough. Then what we could do is on a day-to-day basis, start to create a list. It's a habit, create habit change, right? So at the end of every day, create a list of all the things you did today that were enough. What did you get done at work? What did you, you fed your dog? You walked your dog, you washed your hair, right? These are all like the basic things that we overlook. And even just capturing those moments can start to get your brain back on a new belief of like, oh yeah, the things I do are enough. Like I do deserve to be acknowledged for these things, even if they are seemingly small. And then they start to balloon from there. Then you're like, oh yeah, shit, I just nailed it at work. Like, and you start to give yourself that credit on a more consistent basis. Have you noticed anything in particular with children of divorce? Oh yeah. I would say that children with divorce, you know, they're navigating a whole different family system and having to look at how they relate to people and safety and trust. And if that divorce was a rupture that wasn't tended to for the child, then, you know, many children that come from divorce experience that lack of trust, that feeling of inevitability that things could end, that your world could be turned upside down and you never know when that's going to happen, right? Because the conversation going on between the parents may have been happening for some time and the child would have been shielded from that reality. So by the time that the news hits them, it's sort of like, wow, my whole world instantly is going to change and I have no voice and no control and no power in this. And so that's often why you'll see kids rebelling, 
pushing back, trying to get some sort of sense of control back in their lives. And that can last not just during that divorce period, but well after that as well. I want to talk a little bit about happy partners. How did you end up starting this? Like, how did this come about? Yeah, I'm going to show it to you. So it's actually a card deck and we have a journal now. And this is a relationship check-in method. So it's really a process for shifting the conversation from reactive, you know, that like dreaded, we need to talk moment. This takes it into a proactive thing. So we're not just talking when something's bad, when something's happened and I need to address it with you. It's more of like, let's just proactively check in. Like what's going on for you? What's up at work? What are you preparing for? What do we want to create together? And the conflict piece is one of five categories. The other four are refriending. So staying connected in your friendship as a couple. It's, you know, sex and intimacy. It's gratitude and it's future gazing. What do we want to build together? So it really starts to give you a framework for healthy communication in a proactive way. As far as healthy communication goes on a day-to-day, let's say people don't have the cards or it has gotten to more of a reactive phase, what are some words you want to avoid when trying to, you know, healthily communicate? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest tip that you can take away from this is if you can get to a simple structure of a sentence, I feel blank when trigger, whatever the trigger is happens. And here's what I would want instead. So I feel really frustrated when you leave your clothes all over the house. And so what I would need in this moment is for maybe twice a week for you to go around the house and just collect all your things and put them back away. Right. So I know that when you're that's, I'm saying that in a very not reactive place. So I think practicing that when you're not reactive so that when you are reactive, that's going to be your first nature response to go into, wow, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling really upset right now. And then that allows the person to not feel like you're attacking them, right? That you're not putting the blame on them. You're not pointing the finger. You make me feel so upset when you leave your stuff around, right? There's a, there's a difference. You're still going to upset, but you're not naming your feeling. You're not taking ownership for your experience up front. And so I think that one tactic can be really helpful for anybody in relationship. And that's not just romantic relationship. That could be at work. That could be with a family member, a sibling, someone at the grocery store. (laughs) Everyone, what are your thoughts on uh, the saying, don't go to bed angry? Like, would you prefer that someone takes time so they don't emotionally react or learn how to not emotionally react and not go to bed angry? Like, what do you think of that? If you're in a heightened sense of, a fight and it is healthier for you to take the space as long as that's done in communication. If you're saying, Hey, this is not going to go somewhere tonight and we're not energetically tasked to handle this right now. We're not resourced to handle this right now. Let's go to bed and let's pick it up tomorrow when we get back from work. Then the communication is not like I'm abandoning you I'm stonewalling, I'm shutting this off and I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to stew on it. It's actually saying like, Hey, we're neither one of us is in a place to really reach a solution right now. So the healthier decision, even if we're going to bed frustrated is to go to bed (laughs) so that we can tackle it in a better place tomorrow. And this actually came up in my relationship just this past week. I was telling you, we had a photo shoot and 
my partner did something, you know, he made a request on the fly that I was kind of blindsided by and it was boundary crossing and I got upset about it, but I didn't in the moment I was like, this is not the right context or place. And also I wasn't clear on what I really felt about it. So I could have been reactive in the moment and just hit him with a like, no, this is not happening. But I thought, okay, I feel that there's this boundary that's been crossed, but I'm not sure how I'm feeling about it. So I'm going to just take a minute, take a beat and get clear on like, what really upset me about this? Was it the ask? Was it how he asked? Was it when he asked? Cause then I can go to him in a much clearer space about what I want to request from him moving forward. What I actually needed that wasn't met. So I was upset in the moment, but I have, he's been traveling and I, he's coming back today. So, you know, I'm going to address it with him when he's back today versus having done it in the moment. And now that I've tended to that for myself, that anger is not even as alive. Yeah. That's something I've noticed my family. I grew up in a very emotionally reactive family. And the second I moved away, that was probably the first thing I really wanted to like work on with myself because naturally I just picked it up. And I have learned, especially because I'm someone who can kind of like spiral in thinking too. So even if I take the time away, I think now I'm a lot more emotionally mature to where I can see things rather than go off of what I'm spiraling as. But I've noticed that just taking a step back and waiting until my emotions die down then I can actually know what I really feel because sometimes I think my emotions will even trick me. And I'm like, that actually, I don't even agree with what I was thinking two days ago. So I'm glad I didn't say something then. And now I'm in a better space too. Do you have any tips for people who are maybe in a relationship or dating and they kind of start to spiral and like make up these things in their head? And then I notice it in just like my circle of people where people will get really in their heads and almost fill in the blanks for someone else rather than letting them communicate what they want. And then they just are out and that's it because that's kind of a sort of defense mechanism, I'm assuming. What would you recommend to someone who is spiraling specifically in a relationship? I think oftentimes too, you'll see those like Instagram meme graphic things where it's like, if you are in the right relationship, you won't be anxious or stressed or anything. And I don't personally always agree with that. Cause like I actually have anxiety. So I'm like, I don't think that because I have anxiety, it's necessarily like my partner's fault or whoever it might be. I think it's just something that like I need to work through sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, that's a great point. I would definitely agree with you on that, that there's so much on the memes that go around that are like, you know, this person's a narcissist. If they, if they text you after they've broken up with you and you're like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a narcissist if they miss you and they want to text you after you guys have broken up, you know, to your point, like if I have anxiety, then it's my anxiety is going to come with me regardless of what relationship I'm in until I tend to that wound. So for the people who are spiraling out, I would give a a few steps. The first step I would give is a tactic called box breathing. It's basically four breaths in hold for four breaths, four breaths out, hold for four breaths. The reason that is, is because it actually down regulates your nervous system. So the brain is going to go into panic. That's it's the spiraling is, is the brain being like, I'm in panic and I'm accessing all these other things that I've experienced over my life and trying to make sense of how this rupture is happening. And so I'm, I'm pulling all these broken stories together to try to make sense of it. The box breathing will interrupt that process. So that in itself can be great. Now, when you've got the spiral and you're in it, notice the stories that are coming up and 
I know it's difficult, but the brave thing, be brave, would be to name it with your partner. I'm spiraling out right now. These are the stories I'm telling myself. Can you help me calibrate or can you help me get on track with what's really going on in your experiences as far as we're fighting as well? Is, is this story true? Is this story true? Is this story true? And just go one by one by one of all the things that are coming in. You don't like me right now. I'm the reason we're in this, in this fight all the time. I'm the problem. Everything is always my fault, right? So that they can come in and that your partner then, and you can, or your partner and that person can then bond over that a little bit and start to find connection and then heal that broken habit, that broken pattern. I got a lot of messages too that were kind of along the same lines of people saying, I've only really been in maybe passive aggressive relationships or really relationships where like the emotions are always heightened as well. So like one or the other. And I'm really trying to learn how to communicate with my partner. Like where can people start at the like bare minimum, like the foundation? Yeah, I think naming it naming it right out of the bat. If someone's being passive aggressive, Hey, I noticed that this happened and that's telling me that you're upset about something else. What are you upset about? Right. Or, Hey, that behavior that you just did, isn't going to help us get to a place of a solution. And I really want to be in this with you. And I really want to reach a solution. So it's just going in and naming what, what is going on versus taking on that negative energy. Cause that's the, what the passive aggression is trying to do, right? It's I'm so upset that I'm going to do some sort of, I feel like you've perpetrated on me. So I'm going to do some sort of subverted act to try to transfer this yucky feeling that I've got onto you so that you're also feeling right. So if that person who's on the receiving end of that passive aggressivity can say, Oh, like this isn't about me. And they're trying to transfer some icky feelings. So now I know that they've got an icky feeling going on. Let me just see what that icky feeling is. I shut it down. Hey, I sense that you've got something going on with you. What's going on with you? Versus like, like you just totally like move my stuff after I told you I wanted it there, you know, which was the path. Yes. Yeah. I have a lot of Gen Z and millennial listeners. So a lot of them are dating just in general. What are some green flags in a relationship? I feel like I always hear about like, oh, this is bad and that's bad. But what are some things that we all should be looking for when we are dating? Green flag number one is are there words and are there words and actions matching? If they say they're going to be somewhere, are they there? Are they consistently not there? If they're consistently there, that's a green flag. If they say, hey, I want to take you to dinner on Friday night at 7 p.m. and they show up at 7 that's one sign that you can trust them, that they're in integrity with their word. If they're like, Hey, I'll text you when I get home from my soccer game with my guys, you know, and the text never comes. I'm not saying shut them off, write them off right there, but I'm saying, take notice of that. Cause are they going to follow through on their word with you? And you want to know if that's going to happen consistently. Those little acts are, if they aren't met are eroding at trust very early in the relationship. The next one I would say is if they're able to be fully present with you while you're dating, are they really listening? Are they asking good questions? Are they with you? Or are they kind of like, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've done that. Oh yeah, that's cool. 
you know, and kind of like kind of present, but really fully not there. They're kind of on to the next best thing kind of, kind of vibe. So I would say that the green flag would be that if they're really listening, paying attention and doing active listening, that would be a massive green flag. Another green flag is if you ask them the hard question, do they answer it? Honestly, are they willing to be vulnerable with you? You know, if you've said, Hey, like, what was the nature of your last relationship? And they're like, Oh, it was fine. It just ended. You know, all things end. You're curious about what's really underneath that. The person who's willing to be radically honest with you and be like, yeah, it was tough. And this is what happened. And this is why we were in a match allows you to all, all, again, feel that trustworthiness. So I would say those are three strong ones. What do you think is the number one problem or mistake that like Gen Z and millennials are currently facing in dating? What first came to me as you asked that question was this idea that it's okay to drop everything and run to land your partner. And I think maintaining your sense of self and staying core to who you are and then, and moving slowly, it doesn't have to go fast actually moving slowly is a good sign. I'd put that again in the, in the green flag, uh, bucket, if it's rushed and it feels like it needs to go a mile an hour and they're, you know, they're skipping steps to, to kind of fake intimacy with you. I would put that in red flag slowness, earning your space would be a, a green flag. I would say millennials, Gen Zers, you don't have to rush. There's no timeline. And hold on to your sense of self. Don't drop everything just because the person you're dating is available at that particular time. Hold true to you. You know, allow that person to hold true to them too. If it's meant to be, you'll find a way to move slowly and be in a relationship. I notice something just within like my life, people around me dating. Obviously, this is what people talk about almost the most out of anything is that Something I see all the time is that I feel like people just don't have the tools to actually communicate either what their needs or their expectations or something as small as this hurt me. And rather than actually have a conversation, they just write it off as like, this isn't right and we're done. That's something I see all the time. And obviously when that happens, it's like that partner is probably like not for you. But I also think on the other end, we have this idea where we expect perfection sometimes and for people to either ourselves or our partner to have already arrived at like we're fully ready and fully capable. So in that space, like what are some ways that you would recommend people like learning those tools, whether it's self-soothing or being able to communicate with people like consistently growing, but also being in a space where it's like, oh, I think I can actually be in a relationship. I'm not going to expect perfection out of myself either. Yeah. Relationship is the container of growth. So when we're in relationship, that's really where we learn all our wounds, all our superpowers, all our special talents, all the things we get to grow on. Right. And I don't just mean romantic relationship. I mean, my relationship to food can shed a lot of light, my relationship to working out, my relationship to, you know, people on the street, to homeless people, to the waiters, right. You can observe all of these areas because they're shedding light on your programming. So when you're in relationship and something's triggered you, actually, this just came up yesterday with a client who was on a, a terrible first date. And she was saying, you know, this guy was just terrible. He just kept saying all these like negative things. And he was just so doomsday and just so aggressive. And I was halfway through, this is not going to be another date. And then she said that after they 
parted. He said, you know, there's not going to be a second date. And she's like, no problem. There's not gonna be a second date for me either. And then he texted her something really mean about her pro her dating profile after they had departed. And she was like, why would he have said that? Like, who says that kind of thing to someone? And I said to her, the universe just gifted this person because he knew exactly what to say to you to try to hurt. And it's, it's hurting you. It triggered you. And that is a gift because now, you know, you have a wound that gets to be tended to. If it wasn't a wound, it wouldn't have hurt so bad. So when you're in the relationship, the conscious relationship is actually looking at like, oh, my triggers are these beautiful gifts that I'm being given to shed some light on areas where I get to heal a broken, you know, a broken pattern, a belief I took on something that's not fully healed from my, maybe like my parental relationship or a story I took on by being bullied in school. The trigger is not the walking away point. The trigger is the place to get curious and say, okay, and is this person that I'm dating going to show up to help me heal that wound to support me while I'm healing that wound, not taking it on for me and not leaving me alone, abandoned with it, but being there to understand that the trigger is happening for a reason and they are part of my process. And I'm a part of their process. And together, being in it actually heals both parties. From both perspectives of that, from being, showing up there to help them heal, and then also being the one who is being healed, how do you handle that? Because it's, you know, obviously it's not like you're taking that on, but how do you walk through that practically? Yeah, so it could look like when I'm feeling left out, I get triggered and I shut down and I want to isolate myself. So when you notice that I'm isolating myself, can you reach out to me? Can you come into the room and say, Hey, I noticed you're isolating. Are you on that old thing that's happening? Are you okay? And do you want to be alone still? Just even those little acts of like how to invite your partner into just knowing what's going on for you. That's inch number one on the healing, right? It could go as far as, um, Hey, when I'm spiraling out like this, can you tell me that it's going to be okay? That even though I'm spiraling out, that we'll figure it out. Knowing that like I'm accepted in, in my spiral, I'm accepted in my, you know, shaming myself and that my partner, I'm not asking him to do anything about it for me. I'm just asking him to tell me something or her or them that can help me feel safe and help me heal that wound. And that person may never have shown up for someone in that way. And that's why it could be healing for them too, because you're showing them, you're telling them how they can show up for you and support you. And that's setting your partner up for success to win in the relationship as well. That's really good. How would you recommend someone deal with past relationship trauma? Mm. Oh my gosh. Very vague. I know. Throwing the softballs at me here. Oh, <laughs> uh, relationship trauma. You know, um, I think that what we talked about a minute ago about the triggers, really looking at that past relationship. I actually just did a post on this about, uh, when the healing process, grieving that relationship, grieve the relationship, really ask yourself what drew me to that person. What was going on for me that I called in someone who could treat me that way or who I allowed to treat me in this way? Um, how was it serving me to be in that relationship? And what did I learn from them? What did this gift me? So for me, being in a crazy toxic relationship in my mid twenties, I had a light bulb moment where I was like, oh my God, this is my mom. This is like the pattern I was playing out with my mom. And if I don't figure this out, this is going to repeat over and over again. And I don't want this to repeat. 
So now I get to figure out what is inside of me that's drawing me to people who are replicating that old childhood pattern. So I would say, look at the past relationship, look at the past trauma, ask yourself the hard questions, do some self-reflection, and then start to tend to all those hurts, all those beliefs. Maybe you just are not serving you where you want to be going. It's almost like both a mirror and then also like breaking the cycle. 100%. You got to break the cycle. Let's say someone is in a new dating relationship. How do they start that off, like setting the foundation for having good communication, obviously having happy partners. Um, But how do they do that from like, I mean, day one of dating? Yeah, I would give it a minimum of three dates. First, give three dates and do that observation. Look for those green flags. See if this person's really going to be enrolled in mutual movement with you. If They're going to be up for conscious relationship, right? Because you don't want to pursue this kind of, hey, I want to do a, a more proactive communication about relationship with someone who you've identified in three dates isn't going to be on the same roller coaster with you, right? Or isn't down to get in the car and, and go on a road trip in the way that you are. So I would give it the three dates. And after that third date, then start introducing the idea of like, hey, I could really see this going somewhere. And, you know, as we get to continue to know each other, I'd love if we could just do be more vocal about where we're both at with this dating process. Right. Like if you're into it, like, I love hearing that you're into it. If I'm into it, like I'm going to share with you that I'm into it. If there's something going on, I want to be able to voice that. Cause that's the kind of culture I'm looking to create in relationship. And guess what? The person who's not up for that is going to bolt. Yeah. They're going to bolt and you're going to, that's going to be the gift. Thank you. Because I'm committed to creating a certain type of culture in my relationships. And the person who hears that and bolts is not the person who's going to co-create that with me. Very true. That's very good. Thank you so much for coming on. I have loved talking with you. Where can they find you and where can they find and buy Happy Partners? Yeah, happypartnersproject.com to check out the um, check-in card deck and the journal that has 12 lessons for relationship. You can find us also at Happy Partners Project on Instagram. And I'm, it's Jocelyn J on social media as well. So you can find me there, but it's been a joy. It's been a joy talking to you. You definitely gave me that, gave me the hard question. I hope that your audience got some good juice out of that. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the conversation with Jocelyn. We actually have a call in from one of you guys. If you guys want to be featured in the next episode, All you have to do is call 866-994-5976. So that's 866-99-IOYSM and leave a question at the tone to be featured in a future episode. Hi, Kenzie. So, so excited that you're doing this line. I guess I just had a question about moving on from friendships that weren't necessarily bad, but you just kind of grew out of them. So... I was wondering what your advice is on like letting that go, but still cherishing the memories. And even if you have some, like there was something that happened associated with it that like made you sad, but you don't feel like it's worth confronting because you know that person isn't going to change. Just kind of like letting go and moving on. Um, what advice you had for that? Yeah, I think this is a little bit different than if you have a falling out with a friend, if you feel like, you know, there needs to be a conversation. Actually, something that really changed my perspective on kind of this topic in general was 
my conversation that I had with Terry Cole on the podcast episode we did on boundaries. And I was always at someone who was like, oh, you need to over communicate. And she was like, listen, like if you're setting new boundaries, boundaries are actually set by actions and not by words. So in this situation, I'm going to go about this as if you guys are just kind of drifting away and there doesn't necessarily need to be a friendship. The first thing I want to say, because this is something that I've had to learn is that just because a friendship isn't lasting your entire life doesn't mean that you're a failure or that it failed. Sometimes certain people are meant to be in your life at certain times of your life. And that doesn't mean that they're never going to be in that again. But I think a really important thing that I've learned with friendship, and I've had a lot of the same friends for the past 12, 13 years, is that I'm constantly almost changing my expectations of friends. And there are times when I spend every second with a friend and then we see each other every few weeks. Friendships are go and ebbs and flows, essentially is what I'm trying to say. And there's nothing bad with growing out of a friendship. And I think you can, of course, still cherish those memories. But again, like we grow and we need different things at different times. As far as letting go and moving on, I think stay sweet, be kind. Obviously, I wouldn't think that you would be like gossiping or even really have anything bad to say. But I think just recognizing that it's okay to have different friends and to grow into different friendships and to grow out of some, that's totally normal. It can be a weird, hard thing to navigate, but I would just try to either spend more time on your own with yourself or try to make other friendships that you feel like make more sense for you at that time. I'm not giving you the best, most practical advice, so I'm sorry for that, but just know that this is totally normal and I don't think it needs to be a big deal. Sometimes this is just what happens. Anyways, um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you did, let me know by giving a nice review, subscribing to the show, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, join the Facebook group. I love you guys so much and I will talk to you next Thursday.